Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. This is George. Patrick and I appreciate your joining us here for our second podcast of the year 2019. It's our third in the three-part series wrapping up 2018 and starting 2019. We talk today about the six things that we recommend for people who are either trying to take their training to the next level or simply getting started with an endurance sporting program. So we look forward to hearing what you have to say about that. I did want to mention two quick things before we get started here. First, I wanted to let you all know about an upcoming event with our sponsor, Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel has partnered with Trek Travel um, to be hosting a special information session on Thursday, February 21st at 6 p.m. at Beyond Chiropractic in Marietta, Georgia. Now, Trek Travel, if you're not aware, they create cycling vacations all around the world. Uh, They were voted in 2018 the world's best tour operator by Travel and Leisure magazine, and they have 50-plus destination worldwide. Um, You can do everything from experiencing the scenic wine country of France to multi-sport adventures in various national parks around the United States. Um, You can come on February 21st uh, at 6 p.m. to Beyond Chiropractic in Marietta, and you can learn a little bit more about all the differing offerings that they have. Um, In addition, if you book a trip over the course of the next little while, a Trek travel trip with Blue Pineapple Travel, uh, you'll get a pretty significant discount and an exclusive discount. So check that out. Uh, We did share it on our Facebook page. You can also find it on Blue Pineapple Travel's Facebook page at facebook.com slash Travel. The other thing I wanted to mention here before we got started is to remind you of our email addresses, the best ways to contact us. You can find us on Facebook or on Twitter. You can also reach out to me directly, george at itlcoaching.com, patrick at itlcoaching.com, or pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. Let's get underway. Everybody, welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel and ITL Coaching and Performance. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. This is our second podcast of 2019, and uh, it's our continuation of our wrapping up 2018 and into 2019, right? That's exactly right. We're completing part three by talking about new beginnings in 2019. Um, in the last episode... Or I should say, in, in kind of part one, we, we reviewed um, our year in 2018 in the year in kind of the endurance community and talked about some key races and key performances. Then part two, we talked about how to make a resolution for 2019 and how to set goals for the new year. Right um, and then in this episode, we're going to talk about how to begin a new training program. Um, so for those of you who are beginners, those who are just starting a new training program, who are hoping to reach new goals or you're simply trying something new, whether it be more mileage, more intensity, maybe an additional tempo run, something like that. Trying to qualify for Boston, trying, trying to, to qualify for Kona. Trying like to qualify for, for you know a, a new race, you know whatever it is. If you're starting a new training program, this is the episode for you. Um, so you know really whether you're just starting a new program and you're trying to meet a new 2019 goal or if you're someone who's been running or training for a while but just need a refresher on some of the basics, this can be a good episode with some basic tips that might you know be counterintuitive to some but we think are really important to you know, setting a strong foundation for any trading program. Yeah, you know, so two things kind of come to mind here at the outset. One is to say that this week, and I don't know if you ran across this too, Patrick, this week 
as I was getting ready for this podcast, I feel like there were a ton of articles and podcasts and videos and stuff out there about this very thing. Right. <laughs> you know, like how do you get started? And not just on fitness programs, but how do you get started on a goal? How do you get started on a resolution and stuff like that? And so I ended up finding myself uh, reading a whole lot of them just sort of as, as I, was, I, was, I was thinking about what we were going to be talking about today. Um, the second thing that, that this leads me to is that in talking about it with you, I realized how much crossover there is between people who are starting brand new and people who are just turning it up a little bit. Um, right. Or who are just focusing on a new goal. Um, that that uh, when you're coming off the couch, which is great, which is fantastic. Um, when you're coming off the couch, a lot of the advice I would give somebody getting ready for their first 5K is very similar to a lot of the advice I would be giving to somebody who, say, missed Kona qualification by a few minutes or missed Boston qualification by seven minutes or something like that and say, okay, I'm going to revamp things. I'm going to take a look at what I'm doing here and, and, and try and get those last few minutes that I need. The, it's, it's not all that different actually, um, mm -hmm. the, the, the overarching principles between those two things. Um, my brother-in-law, who was in 10th grade, his name is Patrick also. <laughs> Good man, must be smart. <laughs> so I'll tell you, well, have I told you before that I have two brothers-in-law and they're both named Patrick? All right, that's what and I like to hear. And, and, and you are neither of them. <laughs> um, the, the, I, I, now that would be a twist on this podcast. That's right, that's right. Um, but, but no, it, the, it's funny because I don't have a hard time telling them apart because there is there is one who is in tenth grade and the other one is going to be celebrating his fiftieth birthday this year. Um, so yeah, and I'm like right in between there. That's right. There you go. Very good. So yeah, my son, my sons know Baba Patrick, which is what they call the tenth grade Patrick. They know Uncle Pat, which is what they call the fifty year old Patrick, and they know Chicago Patrick, which of course is you, since you there and I ran the Chicago Marathon together. But anyway. Um, yeah, so super proud of him and, and a lot of the things that I've been telling Baba Patrick, the 10th grade uh, brother-in-law that I have, um, are, are things that we're going to be talking about here today. Now, undoubtedly, at the outset, the most important thing that we always have to keep in mind, and you should continue to keep this at the front of your mind, and uh, Patrick and I, Chicago Patrick and I, continue to keep this at the front of our minds, not only when we're programming other people, but when we're thinking about ourselves, um, the so-called golden rule of endurance training. Um, and that's that consistency matters more than anything else. Um, if you can do something over the course of, of days and weeks and months, if you can be consistent day after day, week after week, month after month, ultimately that's what's going to result in improvement. That is what's going to help you meet your goals. Whatever your goals are, if your goals are losing weight, if your goals are increasing your max VO2, if your goals are becoming more defined muscularly, if your goals are to complete a 5K or to complete a marathon or to qualify for Kona or to up your FTP in cycling, you're only going to get there by working on that slowly, gradually, day by day, week by week, and month mm -hmm. by month. And so any plan that you come up with needs to be predicated on that. You need to be doing something where that, that, that you, can, you can remain consistent with and that you can remain healthy and continuing to do. Um, not three weeks on, then a week off, and then another two weeks on, then three weeks off, and then you need to just day after day, week after week, month after month. Yeah, do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, I know I've said on this podcast over and over again, but you know, when you're training for a big race, or really just training in general, you're an index investor. You're not a penny stock you investor. You, time is your best asset. Mm -hmm. It really is. The best way to improve is to put in the time. Mm -hmm. You can't cram in a bunch of miles in a few weeks or a few months even. Uh, kind of a perfect, and for some people that can be very daunting if they're just starting because then they may think, oh no, I have this big road ahead of me. But think about it like this too. 
once you start to put in that time, once you start to put in that consistency, then when things do go bad, you still have that foundation to right. fall back on. Right. I mean, look at me with this marathon in December, for example, mm-hmm. where I had to take off about you know four to six weeks of, from running, then run a marathon, but was still able to do it because I had years of consistent training right. behind me. Right. So it, to, to your point too, the, the goal here really is not to, almost shouldn't be to run fast or run far. It's more just to put in consistent work day in and day out. I agree. I mean, in so many ways, the hardest part about a run or a training program or any individual training session is getting out the door. Mm-hmm. I mean, that has been my experience over and over again as a coach and as an athlete. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when thinking about setting up our goals and setting up a new training program and, and setting kind of ground rules for, for our weekly and, and, and monthly goals, et cetera, it's really the, the biggest thing you should have in your mind is how can I set myself up to put in consistent quality work. Right. Absolutely. Um, And there's, you know, you mentioned the index investing thing. And like I said, I knew you were going to say that. And that's not one that I'm inclined to mention because I'm not, you know, an index investor. Well, I guess I am an index investor metaphorically. And I guess I probably am too, like in real life, but it's just, I don't spend a whole lot of time with that sort of thing. Anyway, that's not my world. Um, But, um, but the, the, there are so many metaphors for this. Um, you know, the, the idea of, well, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, you know, or, or, um, what John L. Parker mentioned in Once a Runner, that running is all about the slow, gradual process of wearing out your shoes. Um, you know, I mean, it's, there's all sorts of metaphors that work for this, but they all come back to this one, one golden rule. Now I'll add what I call my gold, my golden corollary. And it, and it's, it's, uh, my, my corollary to the golden rule. Um, and it's that you need to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you if if you want to be consistent and you do want to be consistent, if consistency is the goal, it needs to be something that you like to do. Yeah. Um, now that doesn't mean that you're going to love it every single day. Um, and we said before on this podcast that I often have said that nothing sucks worse than running when you're getting in shape, but nothing's better when you're once you're in shape. Um, so yeah, it may suck a little bit at the start. There might be times when when it's pride swallowing and uncomfortable and things like that. Um, but it still needs to be something that you derive joy and satisfaction from overall. Um, and so I, I submit that, that whatever it is that you ultimately decide to do, whatever training program that you get into, it needs to be something that you think is on some level fun and enjoyable. Um, you need to like it. It cannot be drudgery mm-hmm. um, or else you will not be able to be consistent and therefore you will not follow the golden rule. Um, do you a- agree? Absolutely. I mean, Everything, no matter no matter how much you like anything, there will be some drudgery, right? No matter how much you love your job, you love your family, you love your friends, there's going to be some moments where you have to do things you don't want to do. Yeah, even going on vacation. I mean, there, there's aspects of vacation that kind of suck, but you're on vacation and it's fun, right? Right. But to your point, willpower is overrated <laughs> in, in, in so many ways when, when talking about setting strong goals and setting yourself up for sustained success, right? Willpower has its place. I mean, you need to have moments where like, oh my gosh, it's cold outside, it's Saturday, I would love to just sleep in and drink coffee, whatever. But it can't be, some, you can't find yourself saying that all the time. Yeah. There needs to be some level of identifying what is it that I enjoy and focusing on that and then building from there. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and I think that there's, there's a degree to which we kind of have built up, you know, you mentioned willpower. There, there's a degree to which we've kind of built up this thing around endurance sports in particular, mm-hmm. or, or endurance sports in general and running in particular. That, that 
yeah, they suck, but you got to do them and they're really good for you. Right. Um, because I think a lot of people have had real negative experiences with running because they got punished, you know, in the sports that they love by running, you know, or something like that. Or, or it was something they had to get out of the way at the start of practice before they were actually able to start doing the fun stuff. And, and I know? think to your point too, it's because most people have never made it past that first breakthrough where yeah. it starts to become yeah. fun and yeah. running is a smooth process and it's not just flailing your arms and legs. Yeah. yeah. And so, so I think, I mean, if, if you see the way that, that, that running or training or going to the gym or stuff like that is, is portrayed a lot of times um, in movies or in advertisements or in, in media at large. It, it is portrayed as this kind of drudgerous thing, that, but you, you got to do it because because um, because it's really good for you. I submit to you that yeah, okay. I don't love going out to run every single day. I don't love training every single day, and and going to the pain cave, going to the well, pushing myself is not always a lot of fun. I will be the first person to admit that. But but I clearly, obviously, I've been doing this for 25 years. I derive some joy from this whole endeavor. Mm-hmm. And this, this is something that, that satisfies me. And, and it meets a psychological need that I have. Um, and I wouldn't be doing it. I wouldn't still be doing it if, if I didn't derive some joy and satisfaction from it. Um, and so... Again, that's George's golden corollary. Don't buy into the idea that it's that it has to suck and it's always going to suck, but it's good for you, so you have to do it. You know, you don't have to eat the food that you hate every single day. It's you right. don't you don't have to 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 do something that makes you miserable. Um, you don't have to read books that you don't like. Um, right. Yes, yeah, sometimes there's going to be aspects of books you don't like. Sometimes it is good for you to do things you don't necessarily enjoy. They make you stronger and better. But if the goal is to establish consistency. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, um, it needs to be something that, that that you that you at base level like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, and that that incur- that takes in the whole experience too, right? Mm-hmm. Like if your plan is to, you know, drive from your work in Buckhead to some LA Fitness in Kennesaw mm-hmm. and sit in traffic like crazy to yeah. go for a 20-minute treadmill run, that's going to be an experience you're not going to enjoy. So yeah. you need to take that into consideration. Yeah. yeah, which is something we'll circle back around to here in just a minute. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's cool, too. There are so many options now. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like this is something that's changed a lot since I became an endurance athlete. There are yeah. so many different options now um, and so many different ways to to, to, to do things that are enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um and so, so you have your orange theory, you have pure bar, you have, you know, just the straight up running and, and all that sort of thing. You have triathlons, like the growth of triathlon over the course of the past 30 years have been, has been explosive. Yeah. Um, you have 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons, trail races, color races, bubble races, you know, costume races. Um, Atlanta Track Club puts on a different race with each of the pro teams here. Like, yeah. I mean, you have all kinds of options. Yeah. And in-house workouts, you have Peloton. Yeah. You have now, when you go to the gym, you have you can cycle and watch TV at the same mm-hmm. time. Spin classes, right. uh, rowing class. There, there's a place here in Marietta that's close to my house that they have a fitness program that's built around indoor rowing. Yeah. Um, it's super cool. I think indoor rowing is actually really, really good for you. Um, and By they, the way, I don't know if I've told you, but I rode for about two years or so in 2017, 2018. Did you? Phenomenal. Yeah. I loved it. I did not like it. It's, <laughs> I have so much fun do, doing it. it outdoors really, or indoors? Oh, it was indoors. It okay. was So the, the gym at the place I worked just had a rowing machine. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do this on my own and make my own little schedule and kind of watch. At the, at the CrossFit stuff. Olympics last year, they had a rowing marathon. And so, so they rode 42 kilometers on, on rowing machines, on ergometers. 
Um, and oh it, you know, my heavens! And it took three hours. Okay, I was not doing that. Right, but the but point is, like, I, you can I, I do had a all short kinds indoor of rowing career. I had a short indoor rowing career, and it, it was good for me, and I and I liked it. But but I, I I think it's really good exercise, but I don't love it right now. And so, ergo, rowing is not the foundation of my fitness program. To circle back around to the whole idea that you have to enjoy it. Keep going. But yeah, but you're, the point is, you have all kinds of options. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's about figuring out right. what you can stand for and what you can't stand for, mm-hmm. right? I cannot stand traffic, so I will not drive to a gym. Yeah. You know, finding a gym right by my workplace or in my workplace is critical for me to lift, mm-hmm. row, etc. So sometimes, mm-hmm. instead of beating yourself up about being like, oh my gosh, I hate this, but I'm just going to f- cram it down my throat, so to speak, mm-hmm. find out why it is you, you dislike something and then try to f- find solutions around it. Right. I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but yeah, all say, that is we're, to we're say... actually previewing a lot of things we're about to say. All that about. is to say, I completely agree where consistency is really the goal. Mm-hmm. And then the kind of the golden rule or the corollary to that, excuse me, is, you know, find things you like and highlight the elements that you do like and try to minimize the aspects you don't like. Right on, right on. All right, so with that in mind, we, as Patrick mentioned at the outset, we have sort of six pieces of advice we want to give. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'll give the first one. The first one is don't wait. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now, of course, we're talking about resolutions and getting in shape and all that sort of thing. It's the second week of the new year. Um, a lot of people are doing this now, by the way. Now, quick side note, because I love digressions. And by the way, this was also the first week of class. And so there's plenty of digressions in the first week of class. Yeah. My mind is in that place. Um, you've probably seen on Facebook um, people bemoaning the fact that, oh, I go to the gym. There's all these fat, out of shape people in the first week of, uh, after the new year in the gym. Da, da, da. That is a good thing. You want to see the, those out-of-shape people in the gym. That makes us better as a society and healthier overall if we have more people going to the gym and trying to better themselves and get fit. And so don't make fun of that guy. Praise that guy. That's fantastic. Good for that girl that she's getting into the gym and, and, and trying to, to, to get herself in shape. But anyway. I want to add to that real quickly. I, I agree 100%. I can't stand when folks kind of use that line of, you know, oh, they're in the gym. You know, these are the New Year's resolution crowds. I, I just have so many issues of that one of which being we're all here to support each other we've talked about over and over again this is a communal sport if you run a fast philly marathon or even if you run a fast chicago marathon that doesn't mean my chicago marathon has to be slow right it's not a zero-sum game right um and second we were all there we've all been in that spot we were just starting out like we want more people to to kind of join this community to be to kind of share in the joy that we do in our sport and then lastly and the kind of an example i'll give when I was in high school, I used to have to use the, the football gym to lift. Mm-hmm. So they could have very easily been like, well, who's this guy? Yeah, <laughs> they probably were. And they probably were. But, like, you never know where that person's coming from. Yeah. they may. This may be their first time in the gym, but they may have been playing rugby for the last several mm-hmm. years. Like, mm-hmm. so, you know. Or if you were to go into the track, they would, they would lap you in a mile. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're all here for each other, you know. I, I would love to see a packed gym every every New Year's, and then hopefully we can help kind of give folks some some insight into how to kind of continue building it, and then continue to forward. see a packed gym. And then there's so many people at the gym that they have to build new branches of the gym, and now you don't have to wait in traffic anymore for the great gym that's right next to your house. Right. Um, so anyway, total digression there, but back to the the very first piece of advice we have to give here, um, and that is that you shouldn't wait. Um, there, there's no set time in which you have to start. Um, and so a lot of people are starting right now because of New Year's resolutions and, and the pop culture fascination with, with, with New Year's resolutions. 
Which is legitimate. I mean, I, I joked last week about the, the incredible number of resolutions that, for whatever reason, I was compelled to make at the end of 2018 and moving into 2019. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to wait until January 1st to start doing something. Likewise, it doesn't mean that if you missed January 1st, that you can't do something until next January 1st or next February um, or next week. Um, there, there's nothing that says that you can't start now. Um, I always think of this whenever I, I, a lot of times I'll meet with athletes and, and they'll say, okay, I want to do Ironman Chattanooga and it's in September. When do I need to start training? And I'm like, all right, well, when you need to start specifically training for Ironman Chattanooga depends a little bit on where you're coming from. Have you done a triathlon before? Have you run a marathon before? You know, all those sorts of things. Um, but the answer ultimately is always going to be the same. You can start now, <laughs> you know, now it might not be into the last 12 to 16 weeks where we're going to do really specific things for that race, right? To get you ready for race day. But everything that we do between now and that last 12 to 16 weeks is going to be getting you ready for that last 12 to 16 weeks. And it's going to enrich that last 12 to 16 weeks. Um, and so there's no reason why you can't start getting ready for a goal that's a year away now. Um, don't wait. There's no reason to wait. There's there's no need to wait to actually begin a goal. You agree? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's kind of the old saying that the best time. I think it was the best time to plant a tree was yesterday. The next best time is today. Right something of, some, something along that those lines. And I agree 100. percent It gets back to the golden rule too. Since things take time, mm -hmm. it's it's best to start now. You mm -hmm. don't need to wait for a new season for a new calendar month or calendar year. Mm -hmm. You can start now. So, and it also the, the nice thing about our sport is, as you mentioned, the final 16 weeks or so heading up to a big target race, you really do need to be very specific in your training. Mm -hmm. But if you're just starting out and you don't know quite what you're doing yet, or you don't have a goal yet, just practice getting up the, the habit of getting out the door mm -hmm. and going for a run. Mm -hmm. Even if it's something as simple as running to the stop sign and back and just getting into the routine of putting on your shoes and getting out the door, mm -hmm. that is still laying the foundation for you know, success later down the road. Now, there's obviously, you're going to have to incorporate a lot more habits, mm -hmm. but you're at least getting that pattern down and kind of ingrained into your brain. Right on, right on. I agree. Um, I think also, I think that waiting and looking for a particular date, and, and, I, and I'm speaking about this from my own personal experience. Generally speaking, it's kind of an excuse. Yeah. Like if I say, oh, well, I'm going to start what I, watch what I eat. I'm going to watch on Monday. The reason why I'm waiting until Monday is because I want to have one last big blowout over the weekend. You know, I, I, I want to have one last big Sunday brunch or I want to have one last, you know, Saturday night where I have four beers and watch Gotham. Um, it's 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 basically a way to say, OK, I, I, I want to, to, to put it off because I want to continue doing what I'm doing right now. That's okay if you need to have like a Mardi Gras type thing. I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But I've always found that when I'm like, all right, uh, I'm going to get started again on January 1st. I'm going to get started again on December 20th. Like whatever the date is, if I'm picking out some date in the future, usually it's because there's something I want to do that's contrary to the plan between now and then. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of times when, we, when we, we convince ourselves that, oh, it's more logical to wait till this particular time. It's, it's not, we're not being logical. We're, we're rationalizing our, our procrastination. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly yeah. right. All right, what next? All right, so, so my second one is kind of builds on yours, and it's start easy, okay? Um, and I like to say there's no such thing as slow, only degrees of fast, mm -hmm. okay? 
So it's not about how fast you run in the beginning. It's only important that you get out the door and that you run at a pace or you train at a pace that is easy for you. Whether you start out by doing a walk-jog combination or you're starting out with a full run, you need to start by completing workouts at a pace that is easy for you, where you're able to have a conversation throughout the workout. And we've talked about this before in, in previous podcasts, but you know when you're when, you know when you're training and when you're doing those easy runs, you are actually changing your body from the inside out. You're helping your your heart pump more oxygen. You're helping um, you know your body change from the inside out. It, they are changes that happen at the microscopic level, and they can only change through running easy. If you're running fast, think of it like this: your body is almost bailing water. Right, to try to survive that particular workout or that mm. particular run. But if you're running easy, you're almost giving yourself a chance to completely reconstruct the highways underneath the skin that kind of are, are getting your blood and oxygen flowing to your muscles smoothly. So when you're starting out, focus on keeping it easy. If you can't have a conversation throughout the run or throughout the workout, then you're going too fast for more often than not, unless it's a specific track workout. Mm-hmm. But that's, like I said, generally for later down the road. And then kind of along those same lines, you don't need to be dependent on a running calculator to tell you exactly what pace to do your easy run. Mm-hmm. Because especially if you're just starting out, you can't really say, oh, I did a f- the mile run in gym class in middle school at this time, so then what should my easy pace be? Mm-hmm. So start by feel, run easy, and to your point, if it's, if it's easy enough, you want to keep it easy enough that you can get out the door and do it again the next day. Right, right. And you're not waking up stiff as a board going, holy right. cow, there's no way I can get in. Right. Day two, day five, day ten, et cetera. Right, right. Yeah, I totally agree. So so with my, with my, with Baba Patrick, with the 10th grade brother-in-law, um, I had him starting by walking more than running. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wants to run a 5K. I mean, he wants to run the whole way. Um, but I had him doing more walking the first time than running. And, and like you said, there's a physiological reason for that. Um, but, but there's a mental reason for that as well. Um, and I think that, that he was excited about that first day and he got done with the first day. He's like, that's all you got? Yeah. You know? And I was like, yeah, because you're going to be back here tomorrow and then you're going to do it the day after that. You know, again, kind of referencing back to once a runner. Um, and somebody texted us last night that they had just read once a runner and liked us. So, so yeah, kudos. Um, but, uh, but referencing back to once a runner again, the so-called trial of miles, um, that, that you might go running with this Olympic champion character who's in the, the, the book one day and think, that's pretty easy. Second day, oh, that's still pretty easy. Third day, eh, maybe not so easy. Fourth day, fifth day. And, and by the time you get just the sheer accumulation of time, you're like, wow, this is really hard. Because that's what it's all about, the trial of miles. It's, it's putting in time. It's, it's, it's ensuring that you can do it day after day after day after day. So when Baba Patrick came back to me and said, said yeah, I, I, that was really easy that first day. I was like, good. You'll do it again tomorrow, and you'll do it after that, and we're going to be kind of adding on a little bit. And so you want it to be something that, that is able to be completed fairly easily there at the outset. Um, in addition, I would say um, you need to make sure you're lowering the activation energy, the so-called activation energy. Um, like if something is very hard to get started, you're less likely to do it. Um, uh, if an activity, if you will, has inertia, you're less likely to do it. And so if you kill yourself on day one, um, you wake up day two and okay, A, you're sore um, and, and you're tired, but B, you're looking back at all that work you just did yesterday and you're like, I, I don't know if I can do that again. Right. Um, I don't know if I can lay out that much physically and mentally again. Um, 
it's going to have more activation energy and it's going to be harder to actually get you going. And you may be able to overcome it that day and maybe even the next day, but not day after day and, and week after week and month after month. The activation energy needs to be low. It needs and, to be manageable. And just to clarify, by activation energy, you mean like almost mental energy, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And so, so there, there's a physiological element to it as well. Um, but if, if, there are, if a theme developed in our podcast over the course of 2017 and 2018, it's that there's a pretty big overlap between the mental and the physical. Um, and so, so, yeah, you need to start slowly and start easily for the sake of, of your physiological development. Um, but you also need to start slowly for the sake of your of your your mental acclimation as well. Right. So so to kind of recap, the adage of no pain no gain is epic and utter BS. <laughs> Throat, I mean seriously like and we're not telling you that to to baby you or to anybody new. Yeah. We're telling you this because if you walk or run at an easy pace, it's actually better for your physical development as I've mentioned. I mean it, it is physically better. It, it is more helpful for your you know, body's ability to maximize the amount of oxygen your body can transport to your muscles. It also emotionally and mentally allows you to contribute towards that golden rule and to put in consistent training. Um, you know, you're beating up your muscles and your tendons less and less if you run easy, and you're able to get back out there and complete the next day's workout. And as you mentioned, it's also lowers the kind of mental strain. It requires less mental activation or activation energy to complete the run. Yeah. Um, so you, the hardest part should be getting out the door, and then when you're actually running and training, you should feel in control. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting. When my wife and I watched a few seasons of The Biggest Loser. Have you ever watched that before? Uh, secondhand. Like, I would be walking through when, like, a okay. roommate or something okay. to watch them. Yeah, and so, so invariably, um, so what they do on The Biggest Loser is they, they have these contestants, and... and they take them and they put them on in, on a camp. They put them on a farm, um, and, and they, these are people who are really, really, really overweight. Um, mm-hmm. And and they they um, control their eating, and they they basically do these super intense, very hard workouts. And and they're there, and they, and they work out hours upon hours a day, right? Like, From what like, I understand, it's almost like boot camp. No, I mean it's, it's like camp. they're yeah. doing nothing but working yeah. out and sleeping. Right, right, um, and eating very little. Yeah, right? and they lose like twenty to thirty pounds a week. I mean, just, just massive amounts of, of weight, right, in a, in a fairly short period of time. Um, and, and number one, there's been studies actually on the Biggest Losers contestants. And, and, and number one, a lot of them, when they go back into the regular life, they end up gaining it, um, getting a lot of stuff back. Because you can't sustain that sort of thing in your, in your regular life, which is going to play into the next thing we're going to talk about here. Um, but number two, and the reason why I'm bringing it up right now, is because a lot of times when they were interviewing the candidates or interviewing the, 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 the contestants... Um, they would say, yeah, I was a fan of The Biggest Loser, and I would sit on my couch, and I would eat ice cream and watch The Biggest Loser. Um, and, and you would think, wow, you're watching all these people exercise and lose weight. Doesn't that inspire you to go out? And the reason why it wasn't inspiring to go out is because there's no way that the person who was sitting on the couch watching that could do that. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, and so, so the activation energy was way too high. They're like, I, I'm not going to go from sitting here on the couch to to – you know, living a, 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 a Spartan lifestyle, hardly eating everything and working out seven hours a day. Right. I have a job. I have, yeah. Some of us have kids. Yeah. More, I mean, it's, we yeah. have other things. There, 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 there was no way to do that. So the activation energy was tried. Of course, it would not have made for good television for them to be like, okay, here's day one. Let's, we're going to go out and walk for 25 minutes. You know, that, that wouldn't have made for really good TV. And so obviously they can't do that with The Biggest Loser. Um, but it's, it's sort of interesting that, that, 
that show, in some ways, I think, maybe the besides, of course, making money and, and entertaining people, one of the purposes of that show was perhaps to inspire people to live healthier lifestyles. Um, and, and in fact, in some ways, it kind of did the opposite because it made it appear that, that in order to be able to live a healthy lifestyle, you had to do these massive undertakings. Um, and, and the activation energy on those was just way too high. And I, it's so funny, too. I, and I fall into this trap at work, and I fall into this athletically, where if you set your goal so high and you think, oh, this is the minimum, mm-hmm. then when you inevitably can't reach it, then it's hard to almost motivate yourself that what you're doing is okay and mm-hmm. it's still progress. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does because we talked about it last week. Um, but that that can be a real problem. Sometimes the best thing you can do is to set realistic expectations for yourself. Yeah, we, we talked about that last week in terms of how, what, what is the Goldilocks principle or how does the Goldilocks principle apply to your resolutions. Right. They need to be big enough to inspire you but not so big that they're just completely intimidating and, and therefore unattainable. You want you want to make big plans, well but 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 you don't want to to psych yourself out by making too big a plan, right? Right. Um, so with that in mind, the the third thing that that we suggest is that you need to figure out basically a process. You need to figure out a routine or a set of habits or a way to kind of make it work in your life. Um, one of the biggest things that I've noticed or one of the biggest changes that took place in my life as a coach when I switched from coaching high school to coaching adults. Um, I, I, I retired as a high school teacher and went on to be a college professor and started working with adults rather than working with high school students is that adults, there's two big differences. One, and I think I've talked about these before on this podcast. One, all adults have some sort of history. Um, and so they have some sort of athletic history and they're coming from all these different places. Whereas high school kids kind of all have very similar histories. Um, but two, and, and more importantly, and, and more directly to the point that we're making here, um, is that all adults have other things going on in their life. All adults have other responsibilities, kids, jobs, um, everything else like that. Right. Um, and they have to try and figure out how exactly are they going to fit training in with all these other things. High school kids, they literally have the time carved out. Practice starts at 3.30. If they're on the cross-country team, they're not doing anything else at 3.30. They're going to practice, and they're going to be there until 5 o'clock, and then they have a ride home or a bus will come and pick them up or whatever else. That time is actually carved out of their day. It is built in. Um, And so one of the biggest challenges as a coach is actually helping athletes figure out a way to fit things into their life. And so it can mean, okay, you're going to get up a half hour earlier on this day and you're going to go to the gym that you're passing by on your way to work. You're going to go in there for 30 minutes. You're going to shower while you're there. Uh, and then you're going to leave there and you're going to continue on to work. And right? you're going to pack a change of clothes right. the night before. Right, right. right. Like, like those sorts of things, right? Um, finding those ways to actually make it work, I mean, that, that's still a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's still kind of what I do today. Um, for myself, even. Um, I say, all right, here's... And it changes from week to week because my wife is traveling and leaving the country as part of you know her travel agent job. Um, and so so I have to say, okay, here's what I end up doing on this particular day uh, or here's what I, I, I have, the challenge I have on this particular day. What can I make work on this particular day and how is it going to fit into the much larger training plan? Um, and that's that's a challenge, but finding that routine, finding that that, that process, I think is key. Yeah. What do you think? Absolutely. And you want to find a process with as little friction as possible. Yes. Um, and that's that's difficult because, I mean, there's going to be a lot of friction in any kind of a routine. If you're an adult with a, you know, 
well-paying job where you have responsibilities and other people counting on you. And if you're in Atlanta, you're probably going to be sitting in traffic or fighting traffic. Um, but the goal is to, in many ways, find a routine where you're not having to kill yourself every day. You're not having to fight, you know, the maximum amount of traffic or where you're having to, you know, make sacrifices you don't want to make. I don't know if that's, you know, quite clear, but, you know, constantly be thinking about where you can remove friction. I can tell you a few years ago, I kind of went on a kick and I was like, all right, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And I thought I had a good routine. I was like, I'm going to do this routine every week. Mm-hmm. And it ended up where I was like, Packing a lunch, packing a coffee, packing three changes of clothes because I was doing this, this, and this. And it was like, this is a night. Like, every day I ended up showing up to work without a belt or something like mm-hmm. that. And it was like, okay, I can't do this. Right. Because, I mean, just logistically, it was too much mm-hmm. um, to go from here to here, then here to here, then the mm-hmm. gym is here, but then, mm-hmm. you know, I need to have my key here. Um, so I think that's, and I think that's a really valid thing to think about. I mean, we talk about, in endurance community, we talk about like be tough, be strong, willpower, etc. Sometimes the best way to have consistency is to almost remove the need for willpower, to remove the friction, to remove the mm-hmm. the obstacles yeah. that are in your way to begin with, right? Yeah. If if you were running the one ten hurdles, sure, jump over the hurdles. But if you don't <laughs> need the hurdles on the track, yeah. take the hurdles off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and, and in your own life, do the same. I mean, try to find a way to kind of. Uh, streamline your efforts, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, and again, all of these things are related to one another. I mean, that friction you talk about could also be called activation energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be something that, that violates the golden corollary because it's going to compromise your enjoyment, right? right. Um, and there are, though, so many opportunities out there. There are so many cool things that you can do that, that not only will get you fitter, but it will also get you faster, Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can find those. Um, they're out there. They're on your way home. They're next to your house. Um, I was talking to somebody last night, um, and we were talking about um, various types of workouts. Um, and, and she was saying that she had tried bar, and she's like, it just doesn't, I, this is not where I am. I think yeah. it's good for me, but it just doesn't really work for me. Yeah. And, and I, said, I said, actually, I feel you on that. Um, I don't think any of the people at my CrossFit gym listen to this podcast, and so I can say this. Um, but but I think the the CrossFit for me that I did at the end of last year, I think it works really well because it's so convenient to my house, and the times they offer them actually work for me for the most part, and they're doing the sort of work that I think I need to do. But I'm not – I don't feel necessarily part of that group. Do you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of people that this is the center of their life, and, and they post on Facebook, and and, da, 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 and that's great. But that, but that, that's just not my relationship with that gym. Um, but, but yet I'm going to continue <laughs> to go there because because it works really, really, really well. It's it's an important part of the the, the routine and the habit and the process that actually works for me. Um, so so yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I can actually build on that. So I kind of started off in the negative, so to speak, of <laughs> removing friction or mm-hmm. no friction. To put it more positively, it could be to to add try to add elements you enjoy. Yeah. Um, like I had one runner who was trying to qualify for Boston and he said, Hey, I'll, I'll run like five times a week. And I also like to do a bike ride with a group. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, look, you know, from a physiological standpoint, the best thing to do would be another run. Mm-hmm. But since you enjoy the bike ride yeah. so much, the, the question is really do this bike ride or nothing. Yeah. Do the bike ride. Yeah. You know, I mean, if it's something you enjoy, if it adds to your kind of emotional enjoyment in the sport, go for it. Yeah. I, t- I couldn't agree more. And that, that's something that actually I've changed a lot uh, over the course of the past five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and I changed more as a coach before I changed this as an athlete, or mm-hmm. at least as a coach to myself, if you will. Um, that that I was willing to build in things um, for for other people that they like, that they simply enjoy. You know, I, I have a lot of people. Um, ITL coaching and performance has a Thursday morning run that meets in Brookhaven, mm-hmm. um, and I have people that really really like that. That's great. We have our, our Tuesday morning track workouts. There are people who really, really like that. I, I tend to put runs on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have a group swim on Mondays and Fridays, so I tend to put swims on people for Mondays and Fridays. And those end up being kind of the, the, the key workouts of the week. Now, whenever you talk to a, a, like a pro coach or you go through a certification program or something else like that, they always say, identify your key workouts of the week and then build the week around those key workouts. I totally agree with that. But there's no reason why the really enjoyable bike ride can't be the key workout because it's really enjoyable. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, like, and so, so I'll look at somebody and I'll say, okay, this person really likes this Thursday morning run and it's rejuvenating for them and it works in their schedule and it works probably. So we are going to anchor that whole week around this Thursday morning run. Um, and I, I think that's fine as a coach. It might not be, it's, it's definitely not what the coaches at the, the clinic had in mind yeah. <laughs> when they say build the week around the key workout. Um, but, but to me, I, I think it's perfectly legitimate to say, all right, I'm going to build, I'm going to, I'm going to make the key workouts, the workouts that this athlete enjoys the most. Um, and we're going to build everything out from there. I don't have a problem with doing that at all. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the real key is find a routine that works for you, whether it be what days of the week to do it, what time of the day to do it, your workouts, the places to do it, the places, um, how to, your eating schedule is actually kind of a, a big thing mm-hmm. depending on your job. Like you, yeah. you mentioned being a teacher where you have a very set mm-hmm. lunchtime. Right. Um, it's all about finding out a routine that works for you so it almost becomes automatic. Mm-hmm. Very um, good. And then if you can, protect it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, you get your family on board and, and they will help you protect it. Mm-hmm. You, know? Um, uh, you know, you can say, all right. From 6.30 to 7, I'm going to be at this gym, and I'm going to be doing this particular thing, and, and that's where I'm going to be every Thursday. And it just becomes, that's just what people know. And you don't schedule meetings during that time, and, and uh, you don't schedule uh, uh, flights until later in the day, um, and, and you don't you get somebody else to pick up your drop off your kids that might I mean, that's just something that you get everybody on board and they know. Right. Right. Yeah. The significant other's not wondering where you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you find those things and you protect those, those those routines and habits and processes. Good. What's next? All right. So next on the list, I just want to talk about number a, four. accountability. Number four. Yeah. So, so yeah, we, we've had a lot of digressions, and, and but number one was don't wait. Number two was start slowly. Mm-hmm. Number three was figure out a routine, habit, and process. Number four. Uh, build accountability. And you can do this a few different ways. And the first way I want to talk about um, is you know building accountability by finding a group. I mean, we, we talk about accountability as related to any training program is critical, right? You have to be accountable. Otherwise, you know, workouts start to slip through your fingers and you look back and there's a lot of red on training peaks so there's a lot of gaps that you didn't intend for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, accountability really is one of the foundational principles of our group. Mm-hmm. In many ways, that's why we have ITL to help people kind of build accountability and kind of continue to reach for their goals. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the best ways to do so, or we believe one of the, you know, one of the best ways to build accountability is to find someone who is on board with you. They don't have to have the same goals with you, but they will meet you for workouts. Mm-hmm. They will ask you questions about your workouts and you know, keep, you, um, keep in touch to find out how you're progressing. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you can build a friend out of a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, 
you know, but it, it, it's always helpful to have a friend to kind of help you be accountable and a training partner to, to hold yourself accountable. I mean, that's why you and I go for all of our Sunday runs together in many ways. And it, and it, it makes it so much easier. When you know that somebody's going to be there, you can just kind of get up and be like, yeah, I'm going to be Patrick. I mean, I, I can't stand you up, you know? Right. And it, it just takes the whole consideration out of it. It's like, do I really want? Oh, maybe I can run. You can convince yourself of anything when the alarm goes off. I can at least. You know? Oh yeah. Um, but but if you're gonna be there, then I you know it's not really a question. I gotta go, right? And vice versa. It's kind of funny. Well, George is gonna be there. I gotta go. You know. And so so the group's expecting me. I gotta make sure that I'm there. There's a uh, this. I don't think I told you this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I ran with a new neighbor, a guy who moved into our neighborhood uh, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, does he listen to the podcast? So I don't know. So so I don't think so. And speak freely. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but it was great. We had a really good run. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think I'm going to talk trash on him? Not actually. Quite the opposite. But he's actually getting ready for the for the Mercedes Marathon in Birmingham right now. Mm-hmm. And we ran right about the same pace. And he was a good person to talk to. We talked the whole time, all that sort of thing. But he lives literally like right around the corner. And I am fired up that I might actually have a running partner who lives in my neighborhood. Yeah. You know, not that I'm going to go running with him every day necessarily, but but I, I we made plans to meet to run at 6:30, and I left my house at 6:29. Mm-hmm. How fantastic is that? You know, and walked up the street and met him at the corner, and and we went out and ran for an hour. You know, um, but just knowing that he was going to be there, um, and it's super easy for him as well. I mean, it, it, it held me accountable. Yeah, you know, I think we've used this kind of idea in the past, but you know it. If, if my alarm were to go off and the kind of existential question were, do you want to get in a run right now? My answer would be, heck no, I don't. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I want to yeah. be right here in my bed. Right. But if the question is, do I want to, you know, be accountable to a friend? Do I want mm. to meet George for a run? The answer is yes. Right. It is a totally different answer to for a totally different question. Right. Um, and then to your point, once you're there, it's much more fun. Yeah. You know, if you're able to find someone that you enjoy and you, and you connect with and you can you know, share life stories and, and talk about things. Yeah, endurance sports are fantastic. And I used to always say this to, to the parents of the high schoolers that I coached, that running is like so awesome because for the most part, now you have hard workouts, of course, but for the most part, you're just going and you go out for a 45-minute run, you're just hanging out with somebody for 45 minutes because you're running easy enough that you can actually talk. Right. Right. It's back uh, to point number one. Yeah, and and, and 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 you end up forming some really, really tight relationships. I mean, both you and I have been on teams where we ran with people every day, uh, and you get really, really close to those people because you're spending so much time with them. Um, I had a friend a few years ago when I first became a cyclist who uh, I met at a cycling event, and he and I started riding our bikes a lot together. And over the course of the, the next two years, he ended up um, uh, meeting a woman, becoming engaged, and ended up getting married. And I remember saying at his, uh, at his, his uh, rehearsal dinner uh, during a toast, I actually probably spent more time with him than anybody else over the course of the past couple of years, with the exception of his fiance, because it was true. I mean, he was he and I were spending seven or eight hours a week together, riding bikes, just talking about life, mm-hmm. uh, and we became really, really close friends in in a short period of time. Uh, and there's also something too where you you become your most real self when you're tired, so your running partner <laughs> kind of can call you out on BS because they know who you really are. So right. then when you start to make excuses about why you can't reach your goals or your your resolutions, they can kind of say, now, wait a minute, hold up. Right. Um, so that's kind of part one of building accountability is finding yeah, I was say, group, Groups and partners aren't the only way. Keep going. The other one is to set a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of another thing that relates to achieving sustainable success is picking a goal. And, you know, a big part of that, that's, 
that's a foundational principle of our group, right? We, we often encourage people to pick a target race, for example, that gives them a goal to motivate themselves and to, you know, I know I generally need a target race to, to drive me towards improvement and to drive me during hard runs to me say, too. why am I doing this? Because I want to run faster at Boston or I want to reach this goal in Chicago. Right. And when you have a goal at the end of the journey, a, a carrot, so to speak, that you're chasing, then it can really help motivate you and kind of frame the way you view the workout so that you get in a quality workout and you really start to instill the habits you will need to complete a program in, in its entirety and really get you know, all of the benefits you need. If you've, if you've made the effort to wake up and get out the door, sometimes that goal can help really help drive you at the end of a long run or at the end of a long training session to really get the full benefits of that training session. For sure. And, and to be clear, um, I'm, I'm very goal-oriented. I mean, I, I very much, um, you know, I, I joke with you that if you, if you look at the races I want to run, I have, like, literally 20 marathons I want to run still that are, like, on my radar. I have, like, 15 years' worth of marathons right? Um, that, that I really, really am fired about running. I'm very goal-oriented as far as that goes. When my wife and I first met, she was fit, but she had never actually trained for a goal. Um, she, she had always exercised to stay in shape, right? And so the idea of actually picking out a goal... And, and saying, this is what I want to train for, this is what I want to get fit for, and then I want to try and accomplish the goal. That really, really appealed to her because generally speaking in her life, she was actually very goal-oriented mm-hmm. um, when it came to degrees and, and scholarships and things like that, right? Um, and so, so um, yeah, I think goals can be highly motivating. However, that doesn't mean that you're constantly thinking about the goal. Right. And so like when I'm, when I'm in a hard workout, I can, I'm, I'm not necessarily like, all right, here we go. I don't necessarily think about it that way. Um, and so, so don't make the mistake of thinking, okay, once you identify your goal, you have to be constantly thinking about it because you don't. Um, but I, I, I do think that saying, all right, having some sort of motivation here has to, uh, is, is a good thing. Um, now, the goal itself, we should say this, kind of falls back to what we talked about last week with resolutions. It should be something discernible, something mm-hmm. measurable, right? It shouldn't be, I want to get faster. Okay, you need to say exactly what that's going to be. Right. Um, Faster. Because, what race distance? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, my I, a former coach of mine used to always used to always uh, deride folks saying, um, "I want to become a better cyclist." Okay, we need to talk about what better means, right? And right. We, need, we need to figure out how to. Do it. Well, I want to be faster. Well, then just ride faster. Okay. What what is what does it actually mean that you want to do? Right. Do you want do you want to raise your FTP? Do you want to be stronger going up hills? Do you want to lower your times at this particular race or um, on this particular course? What is it exactly that you're actually looking to do? So it needs to be something discernible and something identifiable. It also needs to be something achievable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and again, kind of getting back to what we talked about last week, it needs to be motivating, but it also needs to be something that if you put in the work, you can in fact achieve. Yeah. yeah. And before we kind of move on to the next one, I think this, you know, uh, piece of advice number four of you know building accountability, it might be the most important thing we talk about all day, because it this is the one that's really most about building sustainability, mm-hmm. right? The other things are good in the context of the run or the context of the training program, but this one is good in the context of building sustainable habits that will carry you through a successful training program. Um, finding accountability partners, finding a goal that that motivates you and helps kind of drive you. Uh, will really help you make your goals more achievable or your, 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 your program or the completion of your program much more achievable. Right on, right on. I'll also add this. I think it's interesting. Um, when I first became a coach for adults, 
um, I, I had this sort of standard spiel about, okay, why do you want to coach? And then I would say, here's why people want coaches. And it was like, let me do the thinking about your training while you can focus on the training. It's things like that, you know? And about, after about a dozen people, after I had sort of given that spiel to about a dozen people, at least half of them had come back to me and said, yeah, I also need somebody to keep me accountable. And that wasn't on my list. Yeah. And, and people were hiring me not just to give them a program and ensure that they, their, their precious time was being used wisely um, and helping them figure out that routine that we talked about before, um, but also just because they wanted somebody looking over their shoulder saying, hey, why don't you do this workout? They wanted somebody to hold them accountable. And so, so hiring a coach is kind of yet another way of doing it. Um, That's right. But, but it's maybe something that, that I wouldn't necessarily recommend for somebody right out the bat. Um, another thing you can do to hold yourself accountable is, is to keep a log or to keep some sort yes. of like checklist or something else like that. Um, I mention that because it actually segues into the fifth thing that we want to talk about. Um, and that's that you shouldn't overthink it early on. Um, now, there's a little bit of tension here between, okay, finding yourself and holding yourself accountable to your new goal and not overthinking it early on. Um, like I say, a way of holding yourself accountable is by having a log or putting a poster on the wall or something like that. If you've seen, there's a, there's a group on Facebook, or I think it's face, they advertise a lot on Facebook about running 2019 miles in 2019. And, and they have this poster with 2019 slots on it. Mm-hmm. And every time you run a mile, you check it off. You know, And if you do an eight mile run, you check off eight slots. I think it's, it's actually pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um, and, but that can be intimidating. Um, and I've definitely found there are times in my running career, in my endurance career, where I needed to ditch the log for a while and mm-hmm. I was better off for having done it. Yeah. Because I think it's really easy to kind of get bogged down in the numbers um, and get bogged down in whether you're doing the right thing. Um, I, I used to, I would run a loop and say it was a five mile loop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would run it in 35.40, right? Just to pick a random number here. For 35 minutes and 40 seconds to run around this loop. And then I would run around the loop the next day or a week later or something like that, and I would run around it in 36 flat, 20 seconds slower, four seconds per mile slower. Throw a blanket over that, that's a negligible difference. But but to me at the time, I was so bogged down in the number, I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's not as good. I'm slowing down. I'm getting worse. What's yeah. happening? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think cyclists do this a lot, particularly if they train a lot inside. They look at their FTP numbers and they're like, "How? How is my? You know, this, this should be something that I, I should be getting more powerful, uh, and I'm getting less powerful. Or holding this power is is, is becoming more difficult. Um, if if you're training consistently, particularly if you're brand new, um, but even if you're somebody who is who is trying to 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 qualify for Kona for the first time or qualify for Boston for the first time, somebody who's trying to, to, to turn it up a notch. Um, if you're meeting your goals and you're training consistently, you don't need to get bogged down in the numbers. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be overthinking it here. Um, because if you do that, it's going to gonna suck all the enjoyment out of it and, and you're going to ultimately end up finding yourself not following the golden rule. Yeah, do you agree? Oh, 100%. I would compare it to um, almost like they, so they say like in, in, in finance a lot of times, it's best not to necessarily set a budget. The best thing to do is to instead track how you're spending and then look backwards and say, how can we improve it? Because if you almost set a budget, you then you end up worrying about spending you know a nickel and dime here and there mm-hmm. and, and almost stressing out about the little things too much and not seeing the big picture. That's right? interesting. Um, and I think the same thing happens with running where you want to track your running, you want to keep a log mm-hmm. so you can look back and see trends. Mm-hmm. 
However, you don't want to be that person that's almost Strava obsessed or obsessed yeah. with your log to the point where um, you start to worry yourself into oblivion. Right. Right. Um, you know. So it's, it's also tell people too. You know, when you when you zoom back and you like if you look at George's running career since he started, it looks like it's linear improvement. If you look at your PR from year to year, right, right for the most part. But that's not if you, how. If, if you age grade it. If you if you age grade it, yes, good point. But but the but if you were to zoom in to each individual year, there's a lot of bobbing up and down, mm-hmm. and so it can be very easy, especially to new runners, to worry when you have that slight dip, which is going to be inevitable as you accumulate fatigue from all the long training cycles and all the long training um, sessions. But sometimes the number is just a, a small gauge. It should describe your workout, but it should not prescribe your workout, mm-hmm. um, so to speak, to where you say, I have to do this five-mile loop in 3520 because last time I did in 3540. Last week I ran 50 miles. This week, if I'm going to be on an upward trajectory, I need to run at least 51, at least 52. Right. Oh, wait, I ran 49. This whole week was just a failure. No, right. one. Um, you know, You see the people running, running laps around the parking lot at, at Kennesaw Mountain. Because they're trying to, to make sure they reach their, their weekly mileage goal, you know? And it's like, really, that extra lap around the parking lot is not going to be the critical determinant of your success. Do you agree with that? I mean, have, have, you, have you experienced that before, actually? Yeah, so I would say, okay, two things. On the circling on the parking lot, I actually did that this morning because I was like 12 seconds for my goal. So, all right, for my own little thing, let's just kind of keep it <laughs> oh, going. Oh, you're one here. of those people then. But, so, sorry, buddy. But to your point, but back to the original point. I would if I had stopped it, I wouldn't have felt it was a failure. It was just a neat little quirk where you're like, okay, whatever. Let's just. It'd be nice to see, see the numbers hit double zero, and to, to kind of reach my original kind let, of. Let me use goal. a better example. Something that, that I feel confident you've never done. That that you get to the end of the week, you add up your mileage. You're at 67 miles, and so you go out and run three more miles on Sunday night after you've done a long run on Sunday morning. Correct. I'm certain you've never done that. Correct. I've never done that either. But 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 there are there are people I know who have done that. They're like, oh, well, I really wanted to get that the seventy miles because last week I ran sixty six and I ran. No, you're okay. That last three mile run is not going to be the thing that, that that helps you meet your goal. You're overthinking it, and 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 you're you're ultimately compromising your enjoyment of it. Yeah, and I mean, to, your your running plan should be in many ways written in pencil, not pen. Mm-hmm. Um, you need yeah. to to have some adjustments along the way. Yeah. Um, you know, or or like, or, or maybe that's not the best way to say, it, but simply to say. You know, don't get get bogged down in the details. Yeah. You know, yeah. six. You know, sixty-seven versus seventy miles, forty-seven versus fifty miles, really negligible in the law in the grand scheme right. of things. It's right. really about what kind of a mileage have you been doing the last three months? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and there there is precision. I mean, there is such thing as precision in training. Um, and, and don't get me wrong with that, but um, you know, Alex Hutchinson when he was leaving Runner's World and he was going to outside online and he was going to do a lot more freelance stuff. One of the things he said is that we don't need to be as precise as sometimes we think we do. That was one of his big takeaways from all the research that he had looked at over the course of, of, of years and years. He said, yeah, precision, I mean, matters. You don't want to be doing completely the wrong thing. Um, he said, but, but there's, there are multiple ways of skinning a cat. And whether you're doing tempo runs or cruise intervals, you're probably going to be okay. Um, Steve Magnus has said something similar, as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, that, that sometimes we get, we get bogged down in precision and we tend to overthink it. You know, and, and it's not now... Our, our advice here is not to overthink it early on. I overthought it in 2017. That was something I was doing wrong in 2017. You know, to, to use your example or, or your metaphor of writing your, your schedule in pencil and not in pen, that was something I profoundly changed in my life and in my approach to my own training 
um, between 2017 and 2018. I very much wrote it in pencil in 2017 or 2018, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to pen in 2017. And I had a much better 2018 in every way. It was more enjoyable. Um, I felt like I was stronger. I continued to to, to get fitter, and and I, and I feel like I reached my goals. Um, right. And so, so I had a much better year in 2018 because I was willing to be more flexible um, than than I had been in 2017. Yeah. Right. Because so you kind of focus more on what does the workout call for today. Right. And what does that right. mean for today? And what can I do today? Kind of circling back around to that idea of, of finding a routine that works. You know, um, if my family's coming back in town early from being out of town, I might miss that day. Or if my wife is going out of town and it's a Thursday, just I, I've learned that Tuesdays and Thursdays are very hard for me to get workouts when my wife's out of town. And that it's just hard because I'm having to pick up my kids and those are busy days at work and all that sort of thing. It's just probably not going to happen. And that's okay. Schedule those as days off. And if I can grab a workout, fantastic. But but I'm probably not going to be able to. Um, and so don't plan like, you know, a pivotal workout on a Thursday morning. This is mm-hmm. not going to happen if my wife's out of town. Yeah. Um, and, and if it does, that's great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 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 yeah, not getting bogged down in those sorts of details. Mm-hmm. Um, technology... And, and, and we're going to segue into the last one here in a second. Technology can be a little bit of an enemy when it comes to this. I mean, you know, looking at your GPS and, and it tells you your current pace, which is often wrong, by the way, as, as many of you probably know. Or it tells you exactly how fast you ran for every single mile of your run or, or what your speed is or what your current wattage is or whatever it happens to be. Um, yeah, technology, putting things on Strava. And that, that, that Strava will actually say, you've run this six times and now you're trending slower. And it's like, oh my God, I'm trending slow, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and literally it's like, it's like one second per mile slower than it was last time. It's like, you're trending slower. No, I'm not Strava, shut up. Or um, it's taken like where you were at the end of the last training cycle versus right. when you're just starting back up again. Right, right. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, last time I ran this, I was one week out from my target marathon. Now I'm 12 pounds overweight and I'm coming off my first cold of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get over it, Strava. I'm okay. I'm in a pretty good place here. Um, so yeah, I, I think that technology can actually um, be a hindrance and, and can actually um, uh, promote your overthinking it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, don't overthink it. Don't get bogged down in in the numbers um, and and in details that ultimately are are unimportant. Yeah. Once again, stay focused on the consistency. Mm-hmm. That is. You know, we have been very consistent in that theme throughout this podcast. <laughs> Stress consistency. Right on, right on. All right, last one, number six. All right, the last one um, is get some gear to help you. Um, you know, we have, you know, all these great sporting equipment. We have all this great sporting equipment for a reason. And I'm going to talk to to runners specifically and say, obviously, the most important piece of equipment you will have is your shoes. Mm-hmm. Um you know, if, if you run in combat boots, for example, you're going to be much more injury prone than you would be if you run in running shoes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need to, to get a good pair of running shoes that works for you. So let's, you know, let's take a moment and talk a little bit about the shoe buying process for, for folks who are new or even for folks who maybe have done it before but really need to um, find a pair that works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope Will Kramer is listening to this, by the way, because I'd be happy <laughs> to have him on again and either add to what I'm about to say or potentially edit, you know, or, or enhance what I'm, what I'm about to say. But um, I do have a bit of a different approach to running shoes than, than a lot of folks or a lot of people that I've kind of come up with in the, in the running community. But, you know, I, th- I think when you, when you, well, first and foremost, what you should do when you're looking at a running store and, and going to buy a, a, a pair of running stu- shoes is you need to go to a running specialty store and find a fitted pair of shoes. Right. Um, 
you know, I do want to let you know you don't need to spend $160 on a pair of running shoes. You know, you and I have been kind of googly-eyed about the Nike Vaporflies, but you know, that's kind of a racing shoe. That's kind of a, a one-off situation mm -hmm. that we are just kind of fascinated with almost from an academic perspective as right. much as anything else. But agree. generally, you can get a decent pair of running shoes for about 100 to $125. Mm -hmm. um, and especially if you're a beginner, you know, you don't need to spend, you know, more than about 125 for a pair of shoes mm -hmm. and still get decent quality. Now, on the on the flip side, if you get the $50 pair from Sports Authority or Dick Sporting Goods or one of those other sporting warehouses, it's probably not going to be good for you because they do take shortcuts in, in the product itself. And so it doesn't provide, you know, a lot of the features that you need in a, in a good pair of running shoes. And, you know, at that price point, they those shoes tend not to be very durable. So you wouldn't get the same value out of them as you would from a 100 to $125 pair. So that's something I always like to, you know, let people who are new to the sport know because when you first walk into a you know, any kind of running store, any kind of sports warehouse, you kind of almost get flooded with options. Yeah. So that's the first thing to know is that's kind of the price point you're looking for. And those price points, by the way, just for those of you who are, who are, have been tracking over time, those price points have gone up over the course of the past decade. Yeah. Um, I would say the price point is like what you said about 100, 125. Um, the price point used to be about 80 to 100. Yep. Um, and, and 10 years ago, it was about 80 to 100. And now it's about 100 to 125. When I started, it was 80 to 100. Yeah. When I started in high school. Yeah. That's exactly right. And that's just basic inflation, too. I mean, that's... Yeah. Um, so, another thing is that I just wanted to point out, too, is, you know, the shoe is not meant to stabilize or provide some kind of motion control to your feet. Um, um, that isn't the intention of the running shoe. The running shoe should merely facilitate how your body moves through space. You know, you walk into some running stores and, you know, they might put you on a treadmill and say, oh, you overpronate and you have to have, and they'll, you know, maybe throw out some scary terms and, you know, try to convince you that you need to control your overpronation or you're going to end up injured, right? And they kind of throw a lot of terms at you, but that's kind of nonsense. I mean, pronation is the body's natural braking mechanism. When your foot hits the ground... The natural sh shock absorption mechanism. Correct. Yeah. When you... When your foot hits the ground, you roll from the outside into the inside and then slightly back towards the outside again as you put your foot down and you push off the ground. And you roll through those different motions. That's called pronation. And you roll through those different motions you know, with your ankle properly breaking as you land on the ground and kind of push right off again. And you're doing that so that you can kind of dissipate the force of the impact through a nice rolling motion rather than an intense thud. Mm -hmm. right? You obviously don't want to take a sledgehammer to your foot, so to speak, mm -hmm. every time you hit the ground. Um, and that pronation is your body's natural braking me mechanism. And at some point in the 90s, I think, somebody kind of came up with this idea of pronation versus overpronation versus underpronation. And that became how we kind of framed and marketed running shoes from there on out, right? Or for, for quite some time. Uh, but if you do pronate more than most people, that really just means your body needs a bit more space and movement to break itself than, than others. It is not a, an inherently bad thing. Or good thing. So what that means for you when you're looking at running shoes and, and you're looking to buy running shoes is when you walk into a specialty store and you tell someone, you know, hey, I'm starting running or I want to look for shoes. I don't really have any insights into shoes that I've that would work for me. You know, tell them you'd like to try on four to five different neutral shoes. Um, and they'll understand the term neutral, so you don't need to kind of offer any explanation there. And I would say tell them to bring out about four to five different options in your price range in the neutral category from a few different brands. 
because it is important to bring out different brands because the different brands do take a slightly different approach to building their product. They're not kind of all the same. They do kind of, they have different patents on their different technologies. So they, they do have a slightly different approach and a slightly different feel for each of them. Mm-hmm. And then take a moment and jog around in the different shoes, you know, jog in each of them and then take note of which one feels the best. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by feels the best, well, I should, I should cl- clarify that and say, identify the one that feels the most natural to you. Mm-hmm. You know, the shoe that disappears, so to speak, the one that you don't have to think about when you're running. It's not necessarily the shoe that feels the lightest or the one that, you know, is the most comfortable, so to speak, but it's the one that disappears, the one that you don't think about, that maybe that feels the most natural when you're running. Because um, that's really the goal of the running shoe is to kind of, like I said, facilitate the, mo- the natural movements your body already has and already has incorporated into your running stroke. When we had Will on, and, and Will, for those of you who, who aren't familiar, Will Kramer was the manager at Westride here in Atlanta for a while, and he moved to Brooklyn, and I think he's at Brooklyn Running Company now, might be what it is, um, but um, he, one of the changes he said that he had seen over the course of the past few years, and this was in 2016 that he's saying this, is that, that we've gotten away from the idea that shoes are meant to control someone, mm-hmm. um, control someone's foot, and, and rather that, that they're meant to... to help the foot move the way that it's supposed to naturally move. Um, and so so I think that, that you're right, that if somebody were to go into a specialty running store, for the most part, that would be that would inform the approach the employees would have. Now, to back it up a step, um, the reason why we're suggesting that you go to a specialty running store um, would be that they will actually let you run in the shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go into a Dick Sporting Goods or a Sports Authority or something else like that and you pick out something and it's the shoe that your friend told you was good and it falls right in your price range and you like the colors, they're not going to let you put on the shoes and run around the store. Um, and so you're not really going to know what they feel like until you actually get them home um, and start running around them. If you order them on Zappos, if you order them on runningwarehouse.com or something else like that, you're not going to know until they actually come in the mail. Um, if you go to a running specialty store, they will let you put on the shoes and run around the store in them. Um, and and not only will they recommend certain shoes for you based on what they see you running, um, but but more than that, they will they will actually let you take them for a test run. Um, and and to Patrick's point, and I agree with him, that ultimately is going to be the best determinant of of which running shoes are going to work best for you. Yeah, and you will know quickly too, for the most part. Yeah. Um, like I can tell you, I've even done some some tests for like like Mizuna mm-hmm. here in Atlanta, where they say we need people to come in and test our sh- our pro- new prototypes, mm-hmm. and you know right away. Yeah. Um, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, they even say like, here, run a hundred meters, jog hundred meters and back, and you mm-hmm. know very quickly. Yeah. Um, and the other nice thing too is that at a lot of these running specialty stores, most of them do have a relaxed return policy. So if if you go on one or two runs and realize, mm-hmm. oh, this was a bad mistake, maybe yeah. it, maybe it felt good the first hundred meters and then it didn't. Yeah few miles down the road which i've never encountered i've only heard that happening very rarely mm. most of them will let you then take it back right within a few days or so right but to your point the real key the real kind of key ingredient with the running specialty store is a they have someone there who will kind of help guide you through the process and even more importantly is they'll let you jog around in the shoes mm-hmm. yeah and kind of get a good feel for yeah. for uh what they all look and feel like same thing goes for bikes by the way Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a bike is another major purchase if you're going to be obviously a cyclist, but but uh, if you're going to be a triathlete as well, buying a bike, right? Uh, the price points in bikes are obviously much higher, about twenty times higher. Um, so it's about two thousand. And if 2, not, you get a real problem. Yeah, um, and so so they're they're a little bit higher there. Um, but uh, but at the same time, if you go into a specialty bike shop 
or if you go into a special triathlon store and you say, all right, I'm new to this. Um, this is generally speaking what I want to spend. Sell me what it is that, that, that you think I, is I need. Um, they'll put you on the bike and you'll have the opportunity to spin around on the bike. Now, you're not going to be able to ride the bike around the store, but you will be able to ride it on a trainer or something like that to, to, to make sure that it fits you well and that you're comfortable on the bike. Mm-hmm. They'll try different types of seats or saddles. Uh, they'll try different shoes with you. Uh, they'll try different shorts with you if you want them to do that. Um, and so, again... If you go to a big box store and say, oh, yeah, there's a bike. I want to do that. Or you order one from, from an online uh, retailer, they're not going to do that for you. And even if you can return it, I'll, I'll, I'll take it a little bit farther. Even if you can return it to an online retailer, returning a bike is a pain. And so <laughs> so you're a lot better off just going to go into to a specialty uh, tri-store or a specialty bike store um, and actually buying your bike there. Um, happily, goggles are inexpensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, getting a pool boy, um, uh, the, a pool boy that you that you need, um, and getting fins, um, those are less expensive as well. Um, you don't necessarily have to take those for test drives if you don't want to. Um, um, but getting a good pair of goggles, um, goggles kind of like what you said with running shoes, they should ultimately kind of disappear too. Um, if you're if you're swimming and you're having to stop every hundred meters and and take off your goggles because they're hurting your face, you have the wrong pair of goggles. Yeah. Um, and and there's there's different shapes of goggles for different shapes of faces. There's different sizes, all that sort of thing. I um, when I got run over by a car a couple years ago, I got a scar on my eye and I had to change which goggles I would wear. Um, and I still wear these much bigger, broader goggles than I used to if I ever go to the pool because um, that scar there it's it's hit by goggles and my old goggles don't work for me anymore because they, they sit on that scar and they become uncomfortable. Um, and so, so, but goggles happily, the price point for goggles is, is 20 to $30. Um, mm-hmm. and so for a good high quality pair of goggles, um, it's less than that for a buoy. It's less than that for a pair of fins. Um, and so, so you can, you can get away with those a little bit more easily. Yeah. So that's right. And one other quick kind of side note I did want to add about the, the running shoes I just kind of thought about. Some folks have asked about, who have maybe have chronic foot problems outside of running have asked about like orthotics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say if you do have kind of chronic foot problems, you it would be best to find a good podiatrist who, who works with runners and can give you an orthotics, you know, yeah. just for you. Um, don't go buying off the rack, you know, super feet, soft sole, Dr. Shoals, et cetera. You know, that is something you would need to kind of get special help with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is not, and this is not really necessarily related to our one through six here, but anytime that you end up going to any sort of medical professional, it should be one who appreciates endurance athletes. Yeah. Um, and who isn't going to hear that extra beat of the endurance athlete heart and think that something's wrong with you, or is not going to tell you that you're going to destroy your knees by running, which research has proven a time and time again is not true. Um, <laughs> or like what happened to me, remember a few years ago when I got bronchitis, so they measured my lung capacity. And they said, no, no, you're fine. I said, no, no, you don't understand. Like my lung, pa- if I'm average, that's a real problem. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, so to recap quickly, number one, don't wait. Number two, start slowly. Number three, figure out a routine, habit, a process. Number four, find ways to hold yourself accountable. Number five, don't overthink it early on or really any other time. Uh, and number six, do get what you need. Mm-hmm. Does that wrap us up there then, Patrick, on the things that people need to get started or to take it to the next level? That does, and all six of those kind of build towards that one overarching principle of finding consistency. Right on. And putting in consistent work. Absolutely. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. We will see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.
And that'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. Once again, you can reach out to me, George, at george at itlcoaching.com. You can reach out to Patrick, patrick at itlcoaching.com. You can send us an email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. You can find ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, at itlcoaching on Twitter, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash performance. Finally, of course, Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and on Instagram, instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. <laughs>